Hello, everybody. You have Jake and Seth. It is June 22nd. It is the day of the NBA draft, but we're not going to be talking about that today. We're going to be talking about a couple other things. Um, However, we are talking about the NBA. First question for you, Seth. Obviously, you watched. What are your thoughts on the Nuggets winning their first championship? Yeah, um, I was happy for that franchise. It's their first championship, um, first NBA championship. They used to be an ABA team. Um, But, you know, I thought it was well-deserved. I did think they were the best team this year. Um, And, you know, I think it's interesting. Jokic, um, great player, obviously. I I think he's been great for a while, and he just kind of – the timing of it, he really needed that guy, um, Murray, to, like, play well. Um, and I think the other years they were in the playoffs, like Murray wasn't fully healthy. And so it's always interesting to me, like you can be an, a, a great MVP caliber player, but you always need that second guy to really get it done. And it's like, you know, if you look at Giannis's championship, like he needed Middleton to have like a good playoffs, even like when Dirk kind of won, like he, mm-hmm. like Jason Terry kind of had like this amazing playoff run that year. And so it's like, you can't really get it done like as a solo guy in the NBA, like you always need that number two to get you over the top. And so I thought like Murray finally had that good playoff run with him. And then together, it's just, it was just a really that the offense, they have really good offense, really good flow. A lot of guys cutting and moving a lot of passing on the ball. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I was happy. I thought Miami, you know, made a valiant run, you know, beating the Knicks and the Celtics in the Eastern conference, no small feat. Um, Obviously, I think the Celtics kind of lost that series a little bit more so than the Heat winning it. Um, so I was going to ask yeah. you, and it sounds like you're going to you're going to answer it. But my question: Are the Heat are the Heat like the best? I, I'm having a hard time finding a similar comp because they've done it so consistently. But are they basically so? A few things: Are are they just dogging it during the regular season and turning it on in the playoffs? <laughs> Or do they just play a, a brand of basketball that is better in the playoffs? Or option C, is it like, do they, is like Spolster just an animal and like he's able to just make magic happen? Or uh, obviously yeah. whatever. I mean, I think it's a little bit of a combination of all three. Um, I don't, you know, I think they were a better, like they were a better team than what their record showed at the end of the regular season. Um, but I also think like when the playoffs hit, I think Butler just kind of like flips a switch inside of himself when he's in those big games and like really kind of takes himself to another level. I also think their run, they, you know, when they played Milwaukee in the first round, Giannis kind of got banged up and they, they really weren't playing Milwaukee at full strength. And so that ended up being a good matchup for them. Um, And then the Knicks, you know, it's like, I think the Knicks were kind of a surprise team, but it was also a team they weren't scared to play. And I think Jimmy, was was the best player in that series as for as good as Jalen Brunson was like he was the guy that was controlling the momentum and and the tempo of a lot of those games that was um, also the best matchup for them obviously yeah. I mean that's but like uh, not only in that round but especially in the East like if they'd gone against yeah. Philly or Boston a round earlier I think that I, exactly no that's totally true. I, yeah it was I, the best matchup for them in that second round and I do think by the time they played Boston I think Spolster really was like kind of making his mark in terms of being a game planner and how to adjust mid series and stuff. Like I think he completely outcoached uh, Joe Mazzula, who really was kind of like a throw in coach for the Celtics after the whole Udoka thing happened. So, I mean, I, I give a lot of credit to Spolster and Butler and Pat Riley too. I think the culture they have there is like really good. 
they have tough players that like play every possession to the bone. And well, that's what like half a dozen random guys. guys step up out of nowhere. Yeah. It was like yeah. someone new every night. It was close. It was a little bit like what the Lakers did um, with like the supporting cast, just like a little more random. It was like more random each night. Yeah. No, I don't think anybody thought like Struess and some of those guys, the, the heat were throwing out there. were going to play at the level they did. But at the same time, I think by the time they got to the finals, they were a little outmatched by that Denver team. And like, they still won a game, but it was just like, I, I really it was a hard 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 one to win that that last series. This is what really bothers me about the playing game because they don't call it a playoff game. It, it should I, I mean I think it should be. I know why they don't. I just think it's such BS. But like this is what I the, was it seven or six games they played with Milwaukee in the first round. Uh, I think they took Milwaukee six games. All right, I thought it was six two. Yeah. They had two playing games, so that's eight. Plus six with the the Knicks is fourteen. Yeah. Plus seven is twenty one. They played twenty one games, like in multiple elimination games before they ever got there. I'm not, I'm not a Celtics fan, so I'm not whining for them or playing the violin. But right. like, I felt like not enough people were saying like this team has been through it. Like they were the lowest. Yeah, but I, you know, again, I, the, another, somebody else made this point that I read where it's like. If you think about their last nine games, I think they went two and seven, right? So it's like they lost three in a row to Boston. They won game seven, and then they only won one game in the finals. So they were two and seven in their last nine games. And so I do think they kind of ran, ran out of gas a little bit. You know, they, they pulled out that Celtic series, but I do think like they, you're right. They had gone through it in that playoff run for sure. I mean, you can make the argument counting those two play in games. They were outmatched in all six "quote unquote" series, like easily. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely, yeah. Which is and again, I think that's a sign of like a good coach and a good culture. Um, and Jimmy Butler kind of doing what he does, but it, it's funny because it's like they've been to the finals twice recently now, but I don't think anyone's picking them next year to go to the finals. Like I think there's a you know whether it's Milwaukee or you know Boston added Porzingis last night. Um, I think Philly's still got moves they want to make. I think the Knicks obviously are, you know, improving. And so all, all those teams, I think, think of themselves as better than the Heat. For what it's worth, what I've heard on some of like the Ringer podcasts, it seems like the Knicks and Heat have positioned themselves as like two of the quote unquote hot spots. I mean, we as Knicks fans, we hear that every year about how <laughs> coveted we are. Uh, but that seems to be that's what I've heard is that this has made it all. Miami was already coveted, quote unquote, for other sports, but it makes it like attractive for basketball. And with this, it was kind of like what I've heard is that showed it wasn't a fluke. And so, like, now the argument that he'd have to like come here, go to a couple of championships in five years, like, yeah, and get more and make more money than you would anywhere else because of the taxes. Yeah. And you're on South Beach. Yeah. And again, I think I think having Spolstra and Riley there, it's a the the management is just much more attractive than some of these other teams where you don't quite know if you can trust the coach or the GM president. Well, um, yeah. to that to that point, it's like you know, I mean, you know basketball better than I do, but I feel like it's safe to say over the course of these contracts are what like five to six years. Over right. the course of that span, you're gonna have like a. Like maybe it's playing. Most teams aren't like you're gonna lose in the second round. I feel like just like it's such a hard, it's so hard with this team. Like I just I feel like the my the appeal for me as a as a 
a five foot ten white guy who doesn't play basketball um, for the <laughs> NBA would be. Uh, I, but joking, obviously not. I'm not an NBA player, but I feel like the appeal there is, uh, even in your off years, like that doesn't matter if you're an eight seed. That doesn't matter if you're a playing team because this coaching culture is so good and the style is so good. It's like we just yeah. need to be in it, and that is such a to actually have the the feeling like we just need to be in it to win it. And like I, as a Yankee fan. Um, the reason I'm saying this is I've heard this a lot from Michael Kay and the Yankees. Like, well, you just need to be in it to win it. And, like, that's not true because I'm also a Jets fan. And we've been to the playoffs a few times, and we're never going to win it. Um, maybe no, maybe yeah. with the next years we have to But, like, you're, with the Heat, they are really competitive with Jimmy Butler. And, like, if he's healthy and, like, just, like, a decent lineup, like, they're going to compete. It's just very cool to watch as a, someone who doesn't know the NBA a lot but who loves, like, the underdog in the NBA, it's very cool to see from the outside. Definitely, yeah. And, like, I do think that's, like, a rare thing in basketball. Like, I think baseball and hockey, I think that, that like, in it to win a thing is a little bit more true where it's, like, it doesn't matter if you're a wild card or a, a division winner. Like, anybody can kind of get hot in the playoffs. With basketball and football, I've always thought, like, the better teams in the regular season almost always end up winning the title. Um, and so for the Heat to kind of prove this twice, that they can kind of make these runs – with like a bit uh, like a lesser team it is kind of like surprising but you're right i think that's really attractive for other players where it's like you know we don't necessarily need to be like juggernaut like as long as we're in there like spolster and butler are gonna figure it out you know yeah it's it's an interesting just an interesting appeal i thought um all right uh, i'll wrap it up i got a few more questions like for you okay basketball related. sure is the celtics window closing <laughs> Um, I guess it's un- it's kind of unfair to talk about how great the Heat are, and in the same window they're basically competing with the Celtics. But curious, I would that- say no. I mean, so so they make this trade last night, right, where they traded Marcus Smart to get Porzingis, and they got a couple draft picks. And so I do think, as much as Marcus Smart was kind of part of their culture, and like he was kind of like the tough, um, sort of like the, the loud, loudest voice in the locker room kind of guy, I think they lose a little bit of that leadership with him. But I do think Porzingis does something for them where they can really spread the floor now in a way they hadn't been doing it before. If you have Horford and Porzingis out there, both of them can shoot the three, and both of them can play interior defense. Um, and so I think for Tatum and Jalen Brown, that makes it easier for them offensively and easier for them defensively, right? Um, obviously, Porzingis is like a bit of a health risk, and so for all I know, he's going to be you know, in a walking boot for half the season or something like that. But I do think... In terms of on paper, it does make sense to me that move. And I do think that gives them a dimension they didn't have. And I think make up. Um, and so it's hard to, I mean, again, I think that's a, a gamble on their on their part, right? Like it's a little bit of a high risk, high reward kind of move. Um, but I don't I, I would not say the window is closed. Um, I think if that move works for them and they find an offense that works with him and he contributes on the defense and he continues to be like a rim protector for them while stretching the floor, like, I think that's a tough team, especially, like, they have a lot of experience, you know? They've been to the finals. They've been to a lot of Eastern Conference finals. They've got a lot of playoff reps on that team. So I don't think the window's closed. I mean, Tatum and Brown are both still young. I know Brown seems a little bit discontented, so I wonder if he's going to push for a trade this summer. But if they keep what they have together right now, I think it's an interesting mix. Do you think uh, he... he... Do you think it's warning that he's a little discontented? I feel like he's been in a lot of trade rumors. 
I think it's one. I mean, some of the stuff he's discontented about is just like the crowd, right? I mean, he's called that Boston crowd racist, um, and I don't think that's completely untrue. I know that some of those Celtics fans out in Boston will say some uh, abhorrent things um, when they have a few drinks in them, and so I kind of understand him kind of not enjoying that setting. Um, I also think he's always been mentioned second to Tatum right um and like it's always kind of been Tatum's team to a degree and so I do understand Brown kind of being like you know maybe if I go to a city that's a little bit more welcoming of me um and you know I can kind of be the main guy I could see how that would be appealing for him um at the same time though it's like that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get another you know there's only so many opportunities you have at NBA championships and clearly the Celtics are like right on the threshold can I uh, – I was actually just a little offended by one thing you said. Um, the Bostonians are racist when they're sober, too. <laughs> <laughs> <Bada-ding>. <laughs> no, I mean, look, I'm sure there's plenty of great Celtics, Red Sox fans, but, look, we all know what we're talking about here. I think anybody that's been to any, like, Fenway or the Boston Garden, like, they, everyone knows what we're talking um, about. I live up here, and they've actually recently changed. This is actually something I'll give them credit. It, it has seemed to change or gone away in the last five to ten years. Um, I'm not from here originally, but I moved up here. They call chocolate sprinkles jimmies, as in Jim Crow. Like that's they they still call them that in certain places. Like there is a yeah, that's yeah. I remember having a conversation, people were like, that's not racist. I'm like, that's the definition of racism. <laughs> Jim Crow. Like you're 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 joking, right? Um, but like all joking aside, um, I mean no. No joking aside, it is racist, um, but th- they're getting rid of that. Um, I do. Th- I don't think it tough. is what it was. You know, I think in the eighties there was a period, you know, where it's like Bird was so revered, and Bill Russell was kind of like thrown to the. You know, it's like I don't think Bill Russell got the same type of treatment that Larry Bird did. I think you can just kind of look at that comparison and draw your own conclusions. No, and also, I mean, the one thing. Yes, and I think there's a lot of like just good. There's a lot of good-natured, good-hearted rivalry between Ma- Magic and Larry. There's right. also a bit of the great white hype or great white hope, right? Um, right. Which plays into boxing at the same time. I can't remember. Was it the, I can't remember the guy's name, but there are a couple of great white hopes who I think Mike Tyson like literally hospitalized. Um, but like <laughs> it just played in this whole. And I also feel like there was a little bitterness that like, oh, Larry hurt his back. And like Magic had HIV, but like that was later. It was I, I just felt like there was some bitterness that like Magic didn't have to deal with the injuries that Larry yeah. did. I'm probably projecting there because to be honest, I'm not a big NBA fan, so that's probably an unfair, um, unfair for me. But uh, yeah, th- there's a lot of there's a lot of things tied up there. Um, and I'm not knocking, but there's racist people in New York too. And there's race, no, there's yeah, racist. Totally. Uh, there's not. That's not a knock on Boston. Um, I, it's not limited to here. They and. I mean, for whatever reason, certain fans get good reputations or bad reputations. Like, it's probably earned on some degree. Like, Chicago Cubs fans and Midwest fans are, like, known for being nice. And that's because they're really nice. I mean, again, like, if you go to a St. Louis Cardinals game and then you go to a game at Fenway, I think it's a very different experience. (laughs) My understanding is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, you've lived outside of New York, I feel like, just as much, if not more than I have. People hate New York, but it's not that we're racist. It's just that we're terrible. Like, insert what anything. Yeah. I mean, they think we're racist, too. But, like, I mean. Like, I think, yeah, I mean, I know having lived in California for a long time, I think 
people view New Yorkers as kind of like this narcissistic thing where it's yes. like their whole world is encapsulated in New York, which is kind of true, right? If you live in New York, it's such a big place. You have all this media there and like it is kind of a vacuum and you kind of forget that like there's this world outside yeah. of New York and the metropolitan area. And it, so I think people in other cities are kind of like, Jesus, these New Yorkers, all they care about is like their little world there, which is, it, you know, I think that there's some truth to that. There's oh, without a doubt. And New York has a great. I'm sure old places do, but like the bigger the city, like it has a gravity unto itself. And it's right. like, yeah. and New York, again, there are other cities like this in the country, in the world, but I feel like with New York, you just like, you go online and it's like, you, whenever you go to like the national things, like it's still coming from New York and it just feeds this right. like, or it's coming from Connecticut or New Jersey or close by. It just feeds this definite East Coast bias. Uh, it also makes sense that's where a lot of influential people are not the and there's a lot of like historic power there and influence that's it not saying that's okay but i understand why there's an east coast bias yeah and i mean even just thinking about the media like new york's one of the last places where like there's still like wars between newspapers right and there's multiple newspapers trying to cover the same stories and out scoop each other where it's like you go to a city like denver there's going to be one newspaper you know what i mean it's like there's not this like like this competition, I think, inside the media creates this other beast. And then on top of that, you have multiple sports teams for every sport. And it's just, it's a different, you know, it's a different thing than just kind of like the regular run of the mill city that's got your basic teams and one newspaper covering them, you know? Also, the irony of even though like half the teams like never play each other, the fact that there's so many teams in each sport a lot like just fosters this like competition between them. Again, even though they don't yeah, play directly. Yeah. Um, well, I'll get off the couch as a New Yorker. Sorry, that went down a different path. No, uh, everybody wants to own the town. Everybody wants to be, you know, the the team of the town. But you know, we all know it's just the Yankees. Yeah, exactly. We we know it. Giants fans know it too. Um, okay, question: Thoughts yeah. on KD and the Suns? Is is KD going to win another one? Who's going to win one first, KD or LeBron? Oof. Um. So the Suns just made this move for Bradley Beal, right? They gave up on Chris Paul. They're bringing in Bradley Beal. Um, Isn't he like a, a non – he doesn't – he's like a not – he can't shoot threes and he's not like on the downhill score? Beal? Yeah. I wouldn't say that. Okay. I wouldn't say that. Um, I think he's a, a big – like at this point in time, I think he's a bigger piece than Paul was. I think Paul was the guy who's kind of like hit his limit. I think Chris Paul can maybe be like a 25-minute player at this point. I think Bradley Beal is still a legitimate starter that can spread the floor. I feel like um, Paul should be like either he should have that role that like um, I think it was Garrett Payton had on the Heat with Shaq and Wade, like he's yeah. your fourth quarter guy, or yeah. you have him be like the second unit guy. So you like he ends up, yeah. you have like I, the best second unit in the league. Jason Kidd kind of hit that same point when he was like on the Knicks, and then he he was on that Dallas team that won. Yes, it's like you, I think that's kind of where Paul's at now. Where you're right, it's like he could come in and close a game if he's fresh, but I don't think he can play 40 minutes and be a big factor like that anymore. So he's got to, he's got to go through that and just kind of like change what he is a little bit. The whole, the Phoenix thing, I don't know. Like that's a team I'd want to see play. Cause now it's like, you got Booker Durant and Beal who all of them are really only effective if they're taking 15 to 20 shots a game. And now you've also removed the one guy who was like a true point guard on the team. So is is DeAndre in? Like, how does he fit into it? Like, will he be like a really good fifth option or fourth option? He, I mean, I think I like Aiton's game and I think he's a good player, but everything I've heard is that he's kind of the one 
that doesn't get along with the coach and is like a little bit disruptive in the locker room and people kind of, you know, I don't think he's gelling with that team, I guess is what I've heard. And so there were a lot of rumors about him getting moved. Um, that I think that's still a possibility this summer that they kind of move him for a different piece. If it's if he stays, though, again, like I think he's a, an effective player, both defensively and offensively. I think that's why he's valuable. Uh, and he's still young. So, like, again, I don't think he's the problem. I think they just they need to find a way. Like, you know, when the Celtics made that move for Garnett, Pierce, and Ray Allen, I always was kind of like, you know, Ray Allen was the one that sort of like sacrificed his game and just became a true shooter. Ray Allen's game before that, he was driving to the basket. He played a lot more like Kobe or somebody like that, right? Where it's like he was a main, you know, cog and like the offense ran through him. But when he got to the Celtics, he was like, you know what? We have Garnett and Pierce. I'm just going to shoot the ball. And so I think that's what Bradley Beal has to kind of turn into is what Ray Allen was when he joined that Celtics team. I don't know if like they're going to have the same type. That Celtics team had so much chemistry and they played great defense, you know? So I don't know if Phoenix is going to be able to like conjure something like that. Or, I mean, everything I've heard is that their GM is kind of like, we're just going to try to outscore everybody, right? Like, we're going to try to score 120 points a game and just see if we can win that way. I think that's a dangerous formula, you know? Yeah, has he spoken to Mike D'Antonio? Yeah, exactly. That's such a Suns formula. You don't even know the Suns history, but (laughs) although I will say the league, I feel like, is a lot more conducive to that style now than it was even, like, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, but it's like, I I think that's a regular season game plan. I think when you get into the playoffs, you're going to have to play, you know, are you going to Denver and you're going to outscore Denver and not play defense? Like, that's hard to imagine. Yeah, you're the teams in the West, like the good, the East is a little different, I feel like, because the identity of a lot of the good teams is like defense, like the Celtics, the Bucks, the Heat. Like, it's, I feel like, yeah, again, that's probably an East Coast bias. Like, they're so much grittier and harder, but I feel like on the West Coast, it's like, um, they can. Uh, generally, there's a lot more talent, I feel like, on the West Coast. I'm just thinking of like the Golden State. Warriors, I, I mean, probably. oh. It, historically the west has always been the more open conference mm-hmm. with higher scoring and the east has always been the more defensive conference and mm-hmm. a little bit more of a grind so i'll say that place still holds true all right well all right a couple more questions here and then we're going to move on but Hit first me. question we'll keep it brief it's on the live pga merger <laughs> flash do you care and you can pass um boy I think the PGA sort of painted themselves into a corner um, and like they really didn't value their players the right way. And I think Liv came in there and kind of saw that weakness and started offering these mega contracts to some of their best players. And it was kind of like they didn't, I don't look, I, I don't think the the Saudi money is, I think that's bloody money, right? Like I don't trust the Saudis for a second. I think they're, I think their goal with this whole thing is to try to clean up their reputation a little bit and yeah. be seen as, you know, more of a whatever, a first world country, not people that, you know, execute journalists <laughs> who are just trying to tell stories. And so I think the Saudis have their own agenda with this whole thing. But I do think them putting in, injecting all that money to some of the top players, you know, Phil Mickelson, Brooks Kepka, I just think the PGA was not ready for that. And now that's kind of on the PGA. Like they should have been taking care of their players a long time ago. And they again, they painted themselves into a corner, and they had to merge. Like they, they kind of realized like there was no way they were going to compete with those contracts, and so, and they wanted the. And now, like the real tricky situation is like, what do you do with the guys that stayed? You know, 
Rory McIlroy was like a huge proponent of the PGA and defended them, didn't take the Saudi money, but now he doesn't have one of these big contracts. So it's like, what do you do with that guy? You, the irony is you, you need the Saudis to pay them. You're right, going to need yeah. this. You're going to need, um, or, or uh, it sounds like the PGA does have some, sounds like the whole point of this was to keep their stockpile of own treasure and silver clean so like pay from that like obviously you don't have like the money to give like quarter of a billion dollars to to woods but or give them like shares in the pg i don't know like maybe make woods like uh uh chairman like i don't know what like there's ways to do it like there's i just like i just don't like it's hard for me to to rationalize like brooks kepko walking around with a 200 million dollar contract and roy mcelroy just being an independent contractor and showing up for tournaments and it's just like uh, they have to find some way to level that now that they have merged. Um, oh, well, I, I really was. I actually do think they need to do that. Like, they, they need to, like, fundamentally, whether it's giving those higher people more money, they, they need to, like, fundamentally restructure their compensation. Yeah, like, just, yeah, exactly. It, it's, now that you have the money, like, you, you need to use it. My whole thing is, to your point, I agree with you 100%. I'm a, I'm a little real politique about it and that I know the U S is dealing with them on a number of levels, like diplomatically, militarily, business wise. Right. Um, so I'm not like clutching my pearls. However, I am a little disgusted that I, I really think the PGA played it terribly. Not that I'm an expert. My understanding is this all started because they refused to even return the call from the Saudi wealth fund about like a partnership. Um, they re- or entertained the idea in a serious way. Then they played the 9-11 um, card, which I, I don't know about you, but being from New York when that happened, I, I was, it, it I thought it was well. interesting. They played it so loud and so much, but it worked for me. It got me up, whipped up against it, uh, not wanting it to happen, not that I did anything. And then for them to fold what felt like so quickly and not even have a good response <laughs> to explain their thinking like to not even what would have been better is if, this would have been terrible but but it's better what what the response by the way was after accusing the saudis of 9-11 was after they accepted the deal monahan said well i based that ju- judgment that was based on what i knew at the time the facts i knew at the time just so we're aware the different fact or the only new fact was that they were going to pay him tens of millions of dollars and the PGA, whatever, like right. the merger was the, was the new fact. Not right. that they were, yeah. not that they weren't a part of this or innocent. It was I mean, that, yeah. pay him. I, do, I think, I do think the most incredible thing about that whole situation is just like the speed at which it happened, the speed at which the live, um, like the PGA is just so weak. Like they, they puffed out their, they're a paper tiger. They puffed out their trust so much. Like, they like for yeah. live to be created. And then PGA goes out on that smear campaign. And then within months they're, they're merging with them. And so it is kind of crazy to be just like completely smearing this entity for like three, four months and then merging with it right after that. And you're right. Like not much of an explanation. I mean, I, I, I think if Monahan should just came out and said like, look, this was a business decision. Like, we had to do it again. He had no other options. I, if he had another option, I think he would have taken it. I, it just was, I will say it's, it's very interesting. Cause like in our lifetime, I don't think there's been this big of a sports merger 
that I've I uh, like you know the ABA and the the NFL mergers were way before our time, and so this is kind of like the biggest merger in sports <laughs> in our lifetime. That's not what are you talking about? Did you forget about WWC WWF son? <laughs> for life, excuse me, <laughs> DOA for life, or no, NWO, NWO, yeah, New World Order, Seth. Wow, I can't believe you just played yourself like that. <laughs> having Biggest. said all that, I, I did watch a lot of the U.S. Open and I enjoyed myself. So, <laughs> oh, I bet you did, Americano, Americano, Americano. Um, all right, <laughs> I, all right, we're gonna, we're gonna wrap up the news quickly. I have. One more topical question for you. What do you got? We're pretty we're pretty deep into the summer box office. We got a couple flops like The Flash, Fast X, Transformers, Dungeons and Dragons. We have a couple hits across Spider-Verse, Super Mario Brothers. We got a couple good films, movies that are successful, maybe not overall hits. Maybe not the runaway hits, but good solid films like Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Just holding down the fort. Um, what are your thoughts on the box office? Are you surprised by some? Let me, two, two films. Are you surprised particularly by any of these underperforming, overperforming films? Part one, part two. Do you think this is, do you think the box office, people keep calling it post-COVID. I feel like we're, I don't, I just want to, move on from COVID altogether and just start calling it the box office. Yeah. Do you feel like this is post COVID or do you think it's like we're, we're post post COVID now? Um, well, first off I will start with, I have not seen any of these movies and I still, it, my, I have not gone to the movie theater, not because of COVID or anything like that, but I just don't have time with two young children to like figure out a way to get out there. Right. Without completely upsetting my family. So that's kind of my thing. <laughs> what I will say though too is I would now that I have the, the jump from two, the amount of free time crashed. There's, yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. So I apologize. I didn't mean to cut you off. Totally. It's okay, but so yeah, my my ability to see movies is not impacted by COVID so much as it is by a seven year old and a one and a half year old. Um, but I I do think I'm surprised the Flash isn't doing a little better at the bottom. I'm surprised to hear you call it a flop. I would have thought that movie would have done really like really well. Um, so that one surprises me. Um, I'm surprised to hear that Super Mario Brothers is a hit, I guess. I thought that was going to flop. Um, I also think, I mean, I think we are, I think we're post, post-COVID. Like, I, I, I think you're right, where it's like, I, I'm sure there's some still some um, lingering impact of the COVID situation, but I do think we're at a point where, the majority of people are comfortable enough to watch a movie in a theater for two hours, I think at this point. And so I don't know how much that's impacting the box office. I think there's probably more so of an echo effect of like people just didn't go to the theater for like two years. And so maybe we just got out of the rhythm of doing it or like we got out of that habit. Right. And so recreating that habit post COVID might be more of the issue than, than COVID itself, if that makes sense. I agree. I also think um, I, I agree with everything you said. I do think part of it's muscle memory. I do think something, and this isn't this is easier said than done because it's like something that happens organically. Um, but there is a way to do it. They need to do a better job of stacking these movies. Like the run of like yeah. what's happened. I feel like the last two years is they have all these good movies on the shelf. They 
basically from March through April, they have so many like movies come out. It's like the small mid modern movies, but there are a lot of good ones too. That by the time you get to May, like if you like movies, you've already seen them. And and then you have like the big ones in May, like we had Guardians of the Galaxy, you had Super Mario Brothers, you had Spider Spider Verse. Long story short, like we're we're June, we're only halfway through summer, but because summer really started in March, I'm exhausted. Yeah. And like, <laughs> and it's uh, and I'm gonna go see. I saw Flash, but to your point, like, and I've whined about this before, but like we talked about free time, spare time. These films are all two hours and 30 minutes. And if you, I don't know about you, but I'm 25 minutes away from the nearest place. And if you add like, it ends up being, I need to add about an hour and 20 minutes, hour, 15 minutes to like drive, go to the bathroom, like get food. Right. So if you're adding that, and I know this is so whiny, but like it's really (laughs) frustrating when you're adding that on top of a two hour, two hour, 45 minute, three hour movie, three hour, 20 minute movie, like avatar. Like, yeah, it's really restrictive and it's really, really hard. And it's again, not that not everyone's in my situation where like you need an hour to get there and back, but just like of the films I just mentioned across the spider verse flash and, guardians are all two hours and 30 minutes like none of them need to be two hours and 30 minutes they could all be two hours and 15 yeah. minutes and i, like, I mean i do think i i think the run times especially on these comic book movies have gotten out of hand like if you came out with a three-hour comic book movie in the mid 90s people would have been like aghast <laughs> just like those those were kind of like comic book movies back then were kind of like oh you know, you'll take your kids to it and you'll you'll have 90 minutes. You know what I mean? It's just like it's turned into this whole other industry. And I think they just try to put so much into those movies that I mean, I look, I understand like the production value and everything and like the budgets that they have. But that doesn't mean that the runtime has to be so gluttonous. <laughs> but that's but that's what blows my mind is the quality isn't that great anymore. Like the, yeah, like yeah. the special effects in Flash aren't great either. It's funny what what affects Flash, like are the same problems that affect Marvel in a lot of the ways. Although I do think Flash is good, uh, but it suffers from a lot of this like the same issues that Marvel's been suffering in Phase Four with like tonal issues, like not really clear like or defined villains or good villains, and just like bad CGI. Like it's just like an interesting. It is good. There are good things about it. I like the film. I recommend it, but it's interesting. Um, the reason I brought it up is I, I think, like, I mean, Fast X made $680 or $700 million in the box office, uh, but it costs $350 million to make. So, like, to me, like, that's not a problem with the box office. Like, that's, that's a production budget. issue. Yeah, yeah. Like that, that, like, that to me is, like, easily solved. And then films like Transformers and Flash, like, I don't get it. I saw, I mean, Transformers, I've never, all of the films are bad uh, outside of the first one. So, like, why some make money and others don't, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, But, like, I thought this was one of the better Transformers I saw. I thought that was one of the better Flash. But then I look at them, it's like, oh, why are they getting their butts kicked? It's like, oh, well, they came out after Super Mario Brothers um, and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. And it's really Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. And it's just like there's just so much pressure on that first week. And so it's like, you need everyone to come out. We, you need everyone to come out that first weekend. And that's what I was saying. Like, if there's something every weekend for 10 weeks, which is what we've had, like 
Yeah, that's all. And I, again, like I think everybody, especially these big studio movies, like they're shooting for the summer blockbuster thing, right? Which was like created a couple decades back, where it's like we're gonna make all our money with the summer blockbusters, and then come award season time, that's when we're gonna put out like our our more kind of niche movies. Um, and so I think you know, I think you're right. I think some of these studios are getting too many people are shooting for that summer blockbuster money instead of being like, you know what, like let's release this at Christmas or let's release this at Thanksgiving. Like times when people have a lot of free time to go to the theater, I, you know, might be <laughs> a little more prudent. I mean, and the reason I said, again, as someone who loves movies and who, who actually tries to build them and goes in a decent amount, like this is coming from someone, there wasn't like a single, we're going to talk about a movie soon, but there was like one movie release from January to about like late February, like to, to basically Ant-Man of note. And it was a man called Otto. Like, and I like that film and we'll, we'll talk about it. Oh, and Megan. But like, that was a, that was a horror film and a family film. Over like, yeah, I mean, I, what, like, didn't air get released too, like in theaters. And like, again, we talked about that movie. I don't think it like broke any mm-hmm. blockbuster records, but again, like you're right. You know, there's only been a few movies that like wouldn't be considered sequels or IP or, or comic book movies that like people would go out to watch. Well, it's, yeah. With that, should we get into a man called Otto soon? Yeah, we can do that. All right. Should we? You want to say goodbye to your friend, Seth? We'll wrap up this news session right now. Goodbye, friends. <laughs>